0: Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Do me a favor and grab a Bible. Track down a Bible if you can. There are some in baskets down by your feet, and we're in John chapter twenty. It's on page eight eighty-one in the Bibles we have here. John chapter twenty. Here's what we've been doing as we uh, came up on the Easter season. We thought, okay, let's look at the the story that we find in John about the crucifixion and resurrection and the aftermath, and so. This morning we're going to look at John chapter twenty, where we see that in the aftermath of Jesus coming back from the dead and, and uh, appearing, he begins to make appearances to a handful of different people, and that's important for us. and, and he continues to appear um, through his word to to people, and so I, I believe he he's here today. So let's go ahead and, and read this. Uh, we'll pray, and we'll get to work. John chapter twenty, starting in verse nineteen, says on the evening. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that, by believing in, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, right now we're asking that by your Spirit, you would speak through your word. We, we want for you, God, to be glorified and lifted up in this moment. And Lord, we, we acknowledge... Um, our need for you in this moment to speak to each of our hearts. Uh, You are risen, you are ascended, and those of us that know that can functionally live as if that's not true. And those of us that have not yet trusted in that reality, who've not yet maybe even heard that reality, Lord, would you draw them to yourself this morning? Would you help people to surrender to the risen and reigning king? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Three appearances here. Jesus appears to his disciples. He appears to Thomas, and then he appears to the readers. He appears to us through his word. So let's look at them one at a time, and they teach us things about what Jesus is up to right now and what he wants us to be up to as well. So in the first little portion of the story, we see Jesus appearing to his disciples, and that's verses 19 to 23. And what we find out here is that his resurrection is changing them. And by his resurrection and that resurrected power, these individual believers and this community will begin to embrace the God-given calling that he has for them. And so, first off, I just want to point out that they go from being fearful to being full of joy. And let's look at that in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. They were fearful. They had watched as Jesus courageously lived his life and taught people and there was hostility against him so much hostility that he was arrested and tried and then led to a crucifixion they watched all of that unfold and so all that they're thinking in their minds is if that's what they did with our leader what are they going to do with us when they find us if that's what they did with 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 our leader then then we probably have something similar in store And so we find them then hunkered down with doors locked trying to preserve their lives. They're fearful. And then in the wake of the resurrection, we find them very changed people, people who are now full of joy, but then also confident in God and really unwavering in their commitment to tell other people the news that Jesus is alive. I'll point that out in just a minute. But what I want to suggest is the resurrection changes us. When we realize Jesus is not dead, he is alive, it gives us what we like to call gospel confidence. It means that no matter what is going on in this world, we can believe that God is at work and that he can work in and through us. And no matter what, no matter what opposition is in front of us, no matter what threats are being made against us, we are confident in God. Now, the truth is they were scared and they locked the doors. And I think the church has a habit of doing that. That when society is not favorable toward Christianity, we have this tendency to withdraw. And to go, guys, let's just try to be as safe as we can. We'll do what we like to do. We'll shut the doors, and we'll make sure that we are safe and, and uh, in well-keeping. And um, I think that that's happening right now. I've, I've mentioned this before, but it used to be the case in our society that Christianity was the prevalent, the dominant worldview that most people would hold. So even if they were non-practicing, most people would say that they were Christians, So we had kind of a home court advantage. The church then could speak into culture and into society, and there was already a bunch of agreement. Most people kind of knew about the Bible. They knew about Christ. They knew about what he's up to. They knew about the value of those things. But that's no longer the case, that we've moved into what many people call is a post-Christian experience. And it's not unique to us. It happened in Europe first. Um, but we're moving beyond this season where everyone agrees with us. And all we have to do is just kind of present it to them and then and make it clear for them. Now we're moving into a season where Christianity is becoming more and more of the, the minority. And what's happening is there's a growing group of people that are called the nuns because when they fill out a form of what is your religious affiliation, they put no religious affiliation. And so now here's what we're feeling then. The church is feeling this, this realization that there's going to be people who no longer buy into what we're talking about, and we're beginning to feel the pressure and the tension from that, and what we could do, what a lot of people will do, is just wish that we could go back to the glory days. Oh, it would be nice if we could just go back, and everyone liked us, and they would listen to us, and all we had to do was you know, do a better version of any other church, and people would show up for it. Now we're moving into this situation where we have to have this gospel confidence because you know that people are not as willing to hear the message of what, what, we, what we proclaim. And so we have to be people who are resilient. And I think that the resurrection does that. In fact, look, look at verse 19. This is what happens for them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed. So they go from being fearful to being full of joy. They go from being fearful of their lives to now experiencing the emotion of joy, and that begins to radically change how they interact with the world. In fact, if you read in the book of Acts, you get to hear about these same individuals, and they are no longer just hunkered down, hiding, but they are going out into the community, and they're proclaiming the the resurrection of King Jesus, and they're being flogged for it. And persecuted and hated, and and they're having to to disperse because of the persecution. And here's what they pray. They don't say, God, please make everyone like us again. Please um, protect us. Now, what do they pray? They're asking that they would be bold even in the face of hostility. God, help us to be bold so that we would continue to make it known that you are alive. That's what we need now. We need a fresh view of the resurrected Christ that gives us gospel confidence, so that we can march out into the world and proclaim boldly, Jesus is alive, come what may. Jesus is alive, even if people don't want to hear that, he is alive, and we are confident in that reality. So the resurrection transforms people. One of the reasons why is because the the thing that Jesus did for us on the cross, it really was a profound and powerful event. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he spoke about this years and years ago, when Jesus walks in and he goes, peace be with you, he wasn't just greeting them. He was freighting this thing that there can be this peace that they could experience with God and with the world that God has made, and it can radically change their lives. He says, it's a promise, really. It's peace be with you. And then he shows them the nail piercings, and he shows them where the soldiers had plunged a spear Into his side, and by their viewing of these things, what they're coming to realize is what Jesus did for us on the cross changes everything. It it, it has brought us forgiveness, it brought us healing. This is how Isaiah put it hundreds of years previous to this event. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 puts it like this He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, We are healed. In that moment, the disciples are realizing this person standing before me with his nail pierced hands and with the wound in his side, he has brought me peace. By his wounds, I've experienced healing. He paid for my iniquities. They were laid on him and he was crushed, but by that, he was working for me a salvation. Christians are people who look to the resurrected Jesus and they find in him hope and salvation and healing and restoration. Jesus is the resurrected King. Now, we as a church need to become more and more accustomed to looking at him over and over again. Um, I think what we can do, and I mentioned this in a prayer earlier, is I think we can forget that he's alive. And so we kind of walk around nervous. We walk around fearful. But I think we as a church can keep reminding ourselves of the crucified and risen Savior, and that'll make us more and more confident. Well, the first, the, the first appearance is to the disciples, and we're finding out that the resurrection is changing them. But now Jesus is also going to show them that they have a mission and a calling. So the church is a missionary organization. It's a group of people who are called by God and then they are sent by God into the world. And this is an important thing for me. I think that our, our campus has started out in this way. We, we believe this to be a very, very important truth. Church isn't just for gathering believers together. We do that, but we do that for the sake of scattering because God sends us into the world with his namesake for the good of the community. And, and so we want to be a, a, a missionary church. And this is how Jesus puts it. In verse 21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, here's what you need to know. You are a sent group of people. You are deployed. You are sent into the world just like the Father sent me. Now, what did did the Father do in the sending of his Son? what does it look like for Jesus to be sent? Because that's going to be the, the, the pattern that we need to try to figure out. Well, when God sent his son, what did he do? He moved into the neighborhood. He came into the neighborhood and he lived among people. He, he, he interacted with people. He developed relationships with people. He spent time very strategically with a group of people, investing himself in them. He had meals with people. He opened. He, he, would, he would go to tables and he would, he, he would spend time with people, and the people who were most magnetized to him were not the religious people. They were actually disreputable people, people who, that other people would look at and go, they're dirty sinners. Doesn't Jesus know what he's doing? He's spending time with people that he shouldn't be spending time with, but, but they were magnetized to him. So what would it look like for us then to be sent into the world just like Jesus is sent into the world? What would it look like for you to begin to think, how could I display the character of Christ tomorrow morning when I head to work? So that when people interact with me as a fellow coworker, it would feel like they're interacting with the Lord himself. There's something beautiful about the way that I gently deal with people. There's something attractive about the way that I go about my work, and people are drawn to that and compelled by that, and they feel safe around you. They, they see you as this, Representation of, obviously imperfect, but a representation of what God is like. And you're going to work then, sent by Christ Himself, displaying to the watching world what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I I think, I hope that you will embrace this high calling. I think that's what Jesus wants for us ordinary believers who are scattered, who are sent out in His name to reflect His goodness to a watching world. So please, Continue to pray and think about this. What would it look like for you to display God to a watching world? He has sent us. And so we want to design our church to help us do that. When we get together, we, we don't just want to keep stacking this place full of people. We want to do stuff in here that helps us to go away from here. We want to do stuff that's going to equip and train us to live faithfully. Now, I guess what I should say right now is we've been at this now for a couple of years, and it is slow going right? I've been saying this in our pre-launch meetings and in our sermons, and I've been talking about this for a long, long time, and I I could, with my finger on the pulse of our campus, I could say, we want this to be true, and we do this from time to time, but a lot of us, we're doing this in fits and starts. We need help, don't we? If we're going to live on mission, if we're going to be sent people, we need help, and Jesus is well aware of that. Look with me at verse 22. He sends his Holy Spirit. Verse 22, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If we could do this in our own strength, it's not even worth doing. If we could be sent people who can just pull this off with our thinking and our planning and our execution, I don't want anything to do with it. But if we're going to live on mission and that frightens you and you feel ill-equipped and you feel inadequate to the task, perfect. Let's start praying. Let's depend on the Spirit of God in us to to fill us in such a way that when we do this stuff, we're constantly relying on God. We're not saying we're great and wonderful people, obviously, so let's just go to work and, and let everyone know that. We're saying we need God, and we need His filling to be so evident that people are drawn not to us, but to Him. He sends His Holy Spirit, He breathes on them, and He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Mission will reveal our weaknesses, and that's good. When we determine to live on mission, we are going to feel very weak and very needy, and God is going to say, "Perfect. I will resource you well. Here's my spirit." And as we receive that, then I think we begin to display the fruit of the spirit and it becomes more and more attractive and beautiful to those who are watching. But look also, he he authorizes us to go in his name, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is pretty wild, but he's, he's suggesting that we, as we proclaim the kingdom of God, that we have his authority. That I mean, we don't look at people and determine their eternities. I think that would be foolish of us. I know I'm not competent to do that. But when I preach the gospel, how people respond to that preaching, how people respond to that, it, it actually reveals whether or not they're responding to God. And you and I, with our ordinary mouths, we can go into work, and we can begin to talk about Christ, and we go with the authority of Jesus himself. It's a wild reality, but it is true. Jesus uses ordinary people like you and like me to, to speak the kingdom into existence in people's lives. So we're authorized agents of God. So the first appearance, Jesus is beginning to tell us what we're supposed to do. As a church, we exist to let other people know God is real. We are sent into the world, and we do that very strategically. We do that intentionally, trying to help people know what God is like. Now, the second appearance is to an individual. Individual, His name is Thomas, and we see this in verses 24 to 29. So Thomas uh, wasn't there when the first episode happened, but now he's on the scene. Let's look at it. Verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, this is fascinating to me, okay? Can you imagine if Jesus showed up at church and he kind of got up here and he said, okay, guys, this is really incredible. I'm going to send you guys in my name, with my authority, with the gifting of my spirit so that you guys can tell people the news of the fact that I'm alive and what I've done for, you, for them. I would expect that the very first time that they would engage in telling people that news, they, it would be wildly successful. right? That all, all kinds of people would hear that and go, we're on board. We believe that. But what ha- what's the first case study that we get after that event happens? If we had evangelism training from Jesus himself, and he says, here's what I want you guys to do, the very first case study of Thomas, he goes, I don't buy this stuff. I don't buy this stuff. Which is, that's fascinating then, okay? This is important. We need a category then that if we're going to share our faith, we can't expect that every time we do it, people are going to immediately respond and agree with us. And we have to be safe then for them to keep coming back so that we could keep telling them that news and pray that God would help them to embrace the reality that he is risen. Um, last Friday, I was uh, talking to Kyle. He's one of the guys who works here and he, he, um, he'll, you know, he's, he's the guy who's on site when we're doing different events and he was here Friday night. So I'm just chatting with him and he goes, yeah, um, when you guys first started coming around, he's like, I'm not a Christian. So I was just curious to see what you guys were going to be like. I was trying to feel you out to see if you were like weird and going to do a bunch of bizarre stuff. And you guys are pretty normal. And so what he started to do is, and and hopefully he's not listening right now, but if he is, whatever, um, he would start to come into the back of the services and he would listen. And he told me last week, he's like, yeah, I, I don't agree with what you say, but every time that I listen, I feel like it's for me. And what I'm realizing then in that moment is there's a process going on here. That God is at work in this dude's life, and my hope and prayer is that he would come to saving faith in Christ, but I'm not going to rush that process. I'm not going to demand that he makes a decision or stop wandering into our church services, right? I'm going I'm to honor the fact that he feels safe around us and willing to explore this thing. So Thomas doesn't come to belief in Christ right away. What does he say? I need proof. Give me some evidence. Now, I've been talking to our church family this whole time. Let me talk to anyone in here. who who your guy is Thomas. Like, you recognize I don't fully buy this stuff, and what I need is some pretty significant proof. If God were to show up and give me a sign, game on. But if not, I don't know if I can buy into it. I need proof. I need to see the evidence that the person that you're claiming is the resurrected Christ is the same dude that I saw pinned to a cross. I need that proof. And so that's exactly what he's saying. And he's saying... I will not believe unless I see these nail marks, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, that's a lot of people that that we encounter. They're saying, that's fine if you believe this. I'm not going to buy into that unless there's significant evidence. And, And so we need to be the kind of place that points them to the evidence. Let's look at what happens here in verses 26. And following a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus meets Thomas, and he personally interacts with him. And the commentators point out he's rebuking him for his lack of faith. Stop doubting and believe. But what he does is he points Thomas to the fact that there are scars in his hands. There is a wound in his side. He was the one who went to the cross and then came back from the dead. He is the victorious one. And so, so, so though there is doubt and skepticism, Jesus is willing to personally meet people where they're at. And isn't it fascinating? Jesus knows exactly what Thomas was saying the week prior when Jesus wasn't physically there. Thomas is saying, I need proof, I need evidence, I need these specific things And Jesus offers exactly what Thomas was after. Here's here's my point. You might be saying to God in your praying or in your thoughts, if there were evidence I would believe, Jesus loves you enough that he is listening in to those inclinations of your heart. Right now, if you're saying if God really does exist and if Jesus really is resurrected from the dead, I need proof Jesus loves you enough and is here in a way where he is listening to your request and he is willing to to meet that request, that he is willing to give proof. In fact, the resurrection itself is proof that you can believe Christianity. If you want to be certain that Christianity is real, look into the resurrection. Look into whether or not you believe it really did happen. Don't just look at the Bible, certainly look there, but look at other sources as well. Jesus, his, his resurrection proves what he claimed to do. And when, isn't it crazy, Thomas didn't even touch him then said, I need to touch it. I need to touch those wounds. I need to make sure it's not just hocus pocus. But when he sees the wounds of Christ, it communicates something very deep to him. And he begins then to worship. He begins to recognize what Christ has done. There was a minister in England during World War I. His name's Edward Scheletto, and and, uh, he wrote a poem. And he was talking about what he was recognizing about the cross and resurrection and his Jesus appearing to the disciples. And in the face of all of these trials and hardships that we go through, many of us, we, we're, we're like Thomas, but there's more to the story. We're doubters, we're skeptics. And a part of the reason why we have such a hard time with God is because we find the world so broken and painful. And, and we think, man, if God is really good and loving, why does my life look and feel like this? Why does my life feel like it's so chaotic and, and, and broken and out of, out, of, out of whack? But the scars of Jesus speak very deeply to our hearts. This is what Edward Shiletto said in his poem. He said, the other gods were strong, but thou were weak. The other gods, they rode to their throne, but thou didst stumble to yours. But to our want, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God... And not a God has wounds, but you alone. There is no other message out there, no other worldview out there that offers what Jesus offers. He understands the brokenness of the world. He understands it full well. And when we look on him and we see the piercings, when we see the agony that he went through for our salvation, it changes us. It certainly changed Thomas. Look at how he responds in verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, when he sees the wounds, he now worships God and he affirms and confesses, You are no ordinary guy. You're not just Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Lord and you're my God. He, he appropriately confesses Christ as Lord. And that's what we want for people to experience. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at, He loves you enough to hear. the the prayers that you're offering, God, could you please prove that I'm real? And he is this morning showing you his nail-pierced hands, and he's saying, it is real. Come to me. And what we want then is for you to be able to say, my Lord and my God. Well, Christ explains then the unique privilege that Thomas has in verse 29. Let's look at it. It says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. He's saying, you, you, Thomas, you get to see the physical resurrected body of Christ. But there are going to be a lot of people who come after you who don't have that privilege, and they are blessed. You see and you believe, but there are those who will hear and see in the Scripture, and they will believe it to be true. And that's many of you in here this morning. You believe that Jesus is alive, and you know his wounds to be true and for you, and that has changed your life. So Jesus appears to the individual. He's still doing that today. Here's the last appearance. verses 30 to 31. Here's what I see. Jesus, through his word, continues to appear to us. He appears to those who will read and listen and take note of what is here. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's what John is saying. The whole purpose of writing all of these different things down, the whole aim of his book, and I would even expand that out to say the Bible, the whole aim of it is that people would see Jesus and they would trust him as Lord and Savior, that they would believe in him. I I think that that's the whole point of Christianity, belief in Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I hope that everyone in here is able to say, I believe in him. I believe that he went to the cross and he died, that he was pierced, that he came back from the dead, that he is resurrected, that he maintains his scars to continue to communicate to us his love. I believe that Jesus appears to us and is appearing to us through his word, even right now. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and I just want to wrap this up very briefly. But here's what I see. All three of these appearances remind us of the goal of Christianity. And as a church, we've got to keep this in front of us. The goal of Christianity is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, offering salvation to all who would believe in him. That's that's what we're all about. The church is meant to be a missionary organization that goes out, is sent out, telling people that awesome news. Jesus personally meets skeptics where they're at because he loves them that much. He's willing to show himself to them in a variety of different ways. And the message of Christianity and the Bible itself is designed to help us see him and believe in him for salvation. So I'm going to pray. Why don't we do this? Why don't you stand with me? And I want to pray. And I'm going to believe that Jesus is making invitations in this moment. So let's bow. Lord, you are alive. And by your spirit, you are here. And your resurrection is real, and so we're asking God in this moment, and we can be bold and audacious, but we're asking God for anyone in here who is not trusted in you as Lord and Savior, by your Spirit in this moment, could you make yourself so real, so profoundly real that our souls can't help but to be stirred and for our lips to then say, my Lord and my God. God, would you, in this moment, make Jesus real to each of us? And for those of us that are believers, would you help us to get on board with this agenda, that you want us, as your people, to be sent into the world, filled with your spirit, proclaiming the kingdom of God until you come? Would you help us to do that, please, in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's worship.